And now, live from beautiful Myrtleby, South Carolina, you're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Collins. Yes! Yes, it's me. It's me, I'm here. I'm here, and my lips have finally stopped bleeding. Keep clapping. Clap for the lip not bleeding miracle. How would we know that you wanted the non-lip bleeding miracle if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to My Fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen, and I know what you're thinking. Spike, I can't decide whether it was better or worse when you had the, the Band-Aids on your lips, but here's the thing. It's at least not bleeding anymore. We are getting there. This is day, I don't know, 10, I think, of lip bleed gate. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're getting there. We are healing. Hashtag get better spike. I don't, I don't know what the hashtag is, but uh, we got a lot of conspiracy theories last week or actually yesterday on, on the show uh, as to what happened to me. No, my wife did not, uh, did not abuse me. Uh, I did literally stab myself while eating. Uh, so thank you so much for joining the show. This is a Muddy Waters Media production. Check us out on, well, usually on Facebook, but we're not on Facebook this time because I got banned and they wouldn't tell me why. Uh, but check us out on YouTube. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on Anchor at anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters. Uh, check us out on Periscope. Check us out on iTunes, on Google Play, on Float. Check us out on Float, float.app slash muddywatersmedia. Uh, check us out on Twitch. Check us out on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Check us out everywhere on the internet. And be sure to like us, follow us, five-star us. Whatever thing that you do on whatever way that you are watching or listening to this, be sure to do that right now. And be sure to uh, be sure if you're doing this on YouTube, be sure to hit the bell. Don't just press subscribe, hit the bell. I want your phone to blow up every single time we go live. So be sure to hit the bell and be sure to share this right now. If you're watching this live or if you're watching it uh, after the fact, be sure to share it right now. The last thing that I want is for your closest friends and loved ones to miss out on a roughly hour-long libertarian podcast on a Wednesday evening. That's the last thing that I want. Be sure to give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids love it. This episode, of course, is brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing waffle related caucus in this or any other party in this godforsaken country of ours. Uh, be sure to go to uh, the Facebook page if you want to become a member of the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus. Be sure to go to the Facebook group, Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus. Uh, and if you want to become an official member, a seated delegate of the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, which means absolutely nothing, but if you want that, uh, then you need to get a button. And the way you can do that is by going to the muddywatersmedia.com slash store store uh, by going to, oh, well, yeah, by going to muddywatersmedia.com slash store and uh, buying the buttons. They are only $5. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor, uh, uh, appropriately enough, Mudwater Coffee Alternative. I don't know what it tastes like yet. We've got some coming in the mail and I will let you know how it tastes. And depending on how it tastes, it might or might not continue to be a sponsor. But for now, we're going to assume on good faith that it actually does taste good and is not terrible. Uh, and uh, and we will see. We will find out together. Um, it is uh, chai tea uh, with uh, cacao. Not just cocoa, cacao. It has mushrooms in it. Not those kinds of mushrooms. Don't get all excited on me. Uh, but it's got mushrooms, which are, are apparently good for you when you drink them. Uh, it's got turmeric. It's got sea salt. It's got cinnamon. And that's it. So if you were thinking, man, this coffee isn't mushroomy enough, 
then I've got some fantastic news for you. We have Mud Water. Uh, if you go to muddywatersmedia.com slash mud, you can buy your starter pack today and you get, I think, 10% off or something like that. I don't know. But we will find out together if that's good. Uh, mud Water, this episode is brought to you by the Gravy King. This episode, of course, is brought to you by Nug of Knowledge, smokable CBD products. Now, folks, you know, Nug of Knowledge is not your everyday CBD supplier because they're selling weed. Uh, also, it's because a portion of their profits go to help end the war on drugs. They also have a compassionate use program that donates medicinal hemp products, that's what we're calling them now, uh, to veterans and people with disabilities who cannot afford these natural remedies. Uh, many people who uh, use this weed say that it helps with joint pain, stress relief, or a much-needed pick-me-up. So if you want to buy weed on the internet then go to nug of knowledge at nugofknowledge.com and be sure to use checkout code spike for 10 percent off this episode of course is also brought to you by joe soloski for pennsylvania governor joe soloski is the p key the key to pennsylvania success uh, if you want to find out how you can help him in his run for governor as a libertarian go to joe soloski j-o-e-s-o-l-o-s-k-i dot Calm, and he'll be sure to love your help. This episode finally is brought to you, of course, by personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. If you live in Florida and you find yourself personally injured, then I have some fantastic news for you. I am so sorry that that happened to you. But also, you might be able to get money. If you go to chrisreynoldslaw.com, Chris Reynolds will come to you almost instantly and will find out uh, exactly how much money he can get you. I don't know how it actually works. I've never sued anyone. Uh, but uh, he can help you sue. Uh, if you have been personally injured, don't run out and get personally injured. It has to actually happen against your will. But then after it does happen against your will, contact Chris Reynolds, personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. Thank you guys so much. The intro and outro music to this and every single episode of My Fellow Americans comes from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook. Check him out on SoundCloud. Go to his uh, band camp at joedavimusic.bandcamp.com by his entire discography. It's like 25 bucks. Some of the best music you'll ever hear. Thank you so much, Mr. Joe Davi. I'd like to thank Le Bleu for this delicious, purified, kosher, made in America drinking water that I'm drinking now. It is uh, kosher. It is BPA-free. It is non-carbonated. And it's made right here in America, like me. Because I'm kosher, too. I'm actually not kosher. Bulubanaka. Shout out to Tehran Turkson's mom and them as always folks i have uh, two really special people tonight as my guests uh they are folks that i've known for quite a while now in tennessee uh some great liberty-minded people who are doing some incredible work to empower the people of tennessee uh and limit government in any way that they can uh, they have actually started an organization that works to do just that called for all tennessee uh, they are pushing specific legislative goals uh, that will do just that, that will empower the average uh, Tennessee, everyday Tennessee uh, residents and make their lives better and easier uh, by getting the government off their backs. And so without any further ado, let's find out more about what they're doing. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans, please welcome to the show, Mr. Joshua Eckel and Justin Cornett. Josh, you are. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for joining. Hey, thanks for having us, Mike. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. I'm really excited to really dive into these goals and also to talk about the absolute nonsense that happened earlier today, but we'll get into that. Uh, but folks, be sure to uh, tune in with your comment, with your thoughts and questions. Uh, Joshua, Justin, and I will tell you if you are right uh, or wrong. Now, guys, let's before we get started, because there, there's some absolute BS happened today, but let's let's talk about 
what got you guys into this? What what led you to to say, you know what, we need to do this organization, we need to start for all Tennessee, and we need to hit the ground running? Is it was it sort of a gradual evolution over time or an aha moment? T- tell us the genesis story of for all I, Tennessee. You know, the 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 aha moment is kind of a funny story considering you're part of it. Um, we actually talked about the kernel of this idea uh, when we were at the election night party in Dallas, uh, sitting oh. in the uh, room to watch uh, Joe on Kennedy, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, it, 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 the idea came from a, a, a thought, why can't we have an organization that lobbies on behalf of the people and uh, how would we set that up? And that's what we've tried to do. And thankfully, I have a Josh. Uh, you guys should all have a Josh. Uh, he's uh, <laughs> really good at organizing things and helping flesh out <laughs> good ideas. And we wouldn't be here without him. Yeah. No question about it. Yeah. So to add to that, Spike, you know, we've been involved in the Liberty Movement for about 10 years yep. um, in the, the LP for probably the last four and, uh, you know, we, we, we've seen a lot of different approaches. Um, and what we were thinking was, you know, what can we do to build bridges uh, across people that are outside of that traditional liberty movement um, and kind of come to get them to come to, to agree with us on the consensus uh, that we need to promote liberty from a legislative perspective. And this organization is kind of the core of that, um, you know, that initiative to kind of get that off the ground. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and you know, I, I would imagine that, we get caught up a lot in the idea of, as libertarians, we get caught up in the idea of, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats, they're not going to serve us. We need to replace them and we need to put in people that, that you know, reflect our beliefs and our values. And that's certainly still a laudable goal and something that we should be pushing towards. In the meantime, we're still being affected by the decisions right. that are yep. being made by the people who are currently right now in office. And the idea yep. of not <sighs> engaging with them at all, if for no other reason than to at least try to get whatever we can with the idea that whatever we can't get, we can go back to the people and say, hey, look, we tried our best to get it, but you know, yep. they're not going to let us do it. it. It seems to me like that's a, a missed opportunity and it's really yep. great. I'm glad that I, as you just said, personally inspired you uh, to start this, I kind of did. That's yeah. what you, I. That's, you can that's quote what, me on that. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I, I will. Mean, Good. But Spike, to, to the to the point you just made, um, the truth is, a majority of the country agrees with these liberty positions, right? Yep. Uh, a majority of the country aligns with us when we talk about you know the stances that we that we really hold. The problem is the system in place uh, almost uh, incentivizes people to fight. And to, to kind of constantly be going back and forth and create yep. non-issues um, to try to divide people because it helps them fundraise and it helps them keep their grasp on power. So what he's trying to say is, is we let people pick and choose the issues that are they're interested in, so they never have to worry about their dollars going to a place that they don't want to be. And the the tag on it. The, yeah, the the truth is at the core um, that the idea is. As an organization, we want to try to align and get people to unite around those issues that we know most people agree on. Right. Everybody can. That's where I was trying to go. Everybody can think of something that they don't want the government to do, uh, uh, you know, some way that they should be able to exercise their freedom, that they are not allowed to exercise their freedom or something that the government does that it shouldn't do. Every single person in the United States can think of something 
that they don't want the government to do or that they think they should be free to do. Everybody. Right. So all we want to do is be the facilitator for the people that want to come together in the majority positions on these issues and keep going as we go and get things done. Uh, it's a it's a it's a really interesting way to have liberty affected while including everyone uh, and letting them drive the agenda. Because we'll take anything that you can fit in empowering people and limiting government. Yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. So what this does is you're able to. Uh, hyper-focus people on instead of a a umbrella idea of you know setting people free or an umbrella idea of taking the power back you're saying we want to do this this and this and it's not inherently partisan any of these things it's not inherently it's really not even inherently ideological it's we believe that you would do better if this happened and so we're going to get everyone together regardless of republican democrat anything else it is a principled stance on policy that empowers people or limits government. That's all it is. That's all it is. So at the core of the organization, Spike, um, we basically want to be a democratized 501c4. And so what that basically means is, I mean, I'm sure you've you've ran into it. You get these big political institutions, these 501c4s, typically they're run by big donors. Um, They have this kind of like political interest that they're trying to push people on and organize people around. And it's very top down. So these organizations exist to promote a specific idea and you can come alongside them or you don't, right? right. So as a, as a 501c4, we want to revolutionize that model. We want to flip it on its head. So we want to have our policy agendas and our focus areas every year bubble up from the ground up. Our members basically drive all of our policy making decisions. And as you can imagine, that in, it really significantly increases our effectiveness as a grassroots organization because when the people at the bottom, the people that are actually doing the work are bought in and it's their ideas and it's their values, they are far more likely to show up and work for those values than if it's some you know, big donor in DC that's trying to push a political agenda. So you know, when I say democratize 501c4, that's kind of what I mean. Um, you know, the, the members drive the policy and it's all within that parameter of empowering people and limiting government. Um, but they're the ones that make that decision and they're the ones that decide kind of where we focus within that specific umbrella. That makes sense. That's awesome. So the the th- it looks like the three main things that you are pushing for right now are, uh, and, and we're going to dive into each individual one. But the, the three big things that you're pushing for right now are um, increased ballot access uh, for third parties and, and uh, non Republican candidates, non Republican and Democrat candidates, uh, sure. criminal justice reform. Um, which is uh, quite a few different things, but uh, and then also uh, supporting small businesses, which right now more than ever before is is it crucial and important. Um, let's talk about ballot access, and this is we're gonna go we're gonna dive right into the the outrage of the day. Um, <laughs> well, no, because I was there today. <laughs> Yo, oh yeah, that's actually a great point. Go get go for it, man. Ballot access. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so I want to before. So we'll start with, talk to us about what your, here's how I want to do this. Talk to us just a little bit about what the the goal yeah. is for ballot access. Go then I want to play this clip of someone explaining their reason why there shouldn't be more ballot access. You can explain why that's garbage. <laughs> and then we're going to show the clip of the absolute outrage of the day. So let, talk to us about the, yeah. the reason we need more ballot access. We're talking Tennessee, but just in general, why we need more ballot access. And you can talk, I mean, Tennessee is a mess when it comes to ballot access, right? As of 2018, Tennessee was the third worst state in the entire country for the number of signatures required to get on a ballot if you were a minor party. 
uh, currently in the state of Tennessee, uh, if you're a Democrat, Republican, or independent, and you run with D or, or I by your name, you need 25 signatures to get on the ballot. If you want to run with a C by your name for Constitution Party or G for Green or L for Libertarian or K for Kanye West Party, then you have to have 56,082 signatures. In um, Tennessee. Yeah, Correct. In and Tennessee. The, and the Tennessee Constitution calls for free and equal elections. So it's, it's, kind it's of very much ironies. right. It's very much in spite. Of, it's very much in opposition to that. And, and what he doesn't mention, too, uh, before we get to the bill, is that retention in Tennessee is absolutely abysmal. You collect those 56,000 signatures. If you don't run a candidate within a four year window uh, for governor, for president or for Senate and get five percent of the vote, they send you back to square one. Yeah. The five percent wow. threshold represents a, a twofold threshold. OK. So one, on one side, it, it's your retention. You have to, it, once you collect the signatures, you have to run a candidate. That candidate has to pull 5%. If they don't, you're back to square one, okay? That's the retention aspect of it. On the other side, there's uh, being labeled a statewide party. Uh, if you are labeled a statewide party, you, uh, you also are required to hold primaries, which cost taxpayer dollars, which gets a fiscal note put on your bill which guarantees that it goes down. So uh, the way the bill has been written, <laughs> the way the bill has been written, we separated those two numbers out and we shrank the retention number down to 1% instead of 5%, which is right. still a, a very tough moniker to get in a state or a federal Senate governor or presidential race in a state like Tennessee. 1% is not a given by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and it changes the number that would trigger the automatic primaries to 25%, which, you know, it might be a little while before anybody gets to a 25% threshold right, uh, right, in right. a statewide race. And that's going to not hurt the taxpayers for a very long time. Right. So, uh, yeah, it, we, it's, a, it's a good bill. It, it, realistically, the crux of it is just making the number something that's manageable uh, instead of 2.5% of the votes cast in the governor's race. We shrink the number to 0.5%, uh, which changes it from 56,082 to, I think it's 11,281. It's 11 and change. Which puts us on so par with still, the national average for alternative parties. Yeah. Which is which is still like 500 times higher right. than the Republicans and Democrats have to do. So it's still putting you at a severe disadvantage, but not a prohibitive one that, that makes it where, where no right. one can actually effectively it, it, run. It's notable, too, um, if you know who uh, uh, Richard Winger is, uh, who does ballot access news. Uh, he keeps a tracker on these things and uh, is very aware of the ballot access requirements state by state. And we did a, a breakdown of what it looked like in 2018 when Tennessee was third. Uh, and there were 31 states that were 10,000 or less uh, on their requirement. Uh, mm -hmm. 37 states that were 15,000 or less. So it, it's a, it's not just an outlier. It's a five times outlier that is a, a, among a small group of other states that are also ridiculous outliers. And, and you, so, because that's, that's third highest by, by the actual, like by static number, by percentage, yes, that's probably the worst, right? 
uh, that I don't know. I think that there are other states that have the same number in on all actuality, but I think oh, it's the, the same percentage. Okay, okay. I, I, yeah, I don't I mean, know. I, Richard Winger would be the one to chat. Well, we'll, it, it, we'll have it on our website. Yeah, and we're, we're going to have it on our website this week. We're about <laughs> yeah. to post all those resources so that anyone can look at it. But I mean, think about it like this. In 2018, the only two states that were higher than us were Texas and California. Both of those states had five times the population. Right, uh, right, right. So, right. I mean, we're up there with them. Um, You're up among no the worst, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. makes no sense from a percentage basis at all, Spike. It's crazy. Yeah. So the legislation that you proposed, basically, it, it greatly reduced what those thresholds were, made it right. still hundreds of times higher than what, if you're a Republican, what you what you have to do. If you're yeah. an R or a D, then, yeah. it, you know, 25 signature. And, and stepping back for a second, this is me giving my personal opinion. There are some people that say, if you want to run for office, you should be able to just say, I'm running for office, and you sign a thing, and now you're on the ballot. That would create a situation where people could just be trolls and you could have a ballot that is like a Bible and you're just looking at hundreds or thousands of names. I understand the need to have some kind of threshold, whether it's 25 signatures, 50 signatures, 100 signatures, and it just shows a level of seriousness. 50,000 signatures is is it is you now are spending more time doing that than being able to actually run for office uh, uh, against much more well-heeled and, and politically connected and well-funded opponents. And keep in mind, you can run as an independent for 25 signatures. So right. <clears throat> in 2018, I think there were about 25 names on the ballot for governor. And there was a Democrat, a Republican, and 23 independents. Right. Yeah. And, and so it creates a situation so, almost like what you described, where you, the threshold still got so all low. The, you still got all the candidates. Yeah, it, it's just they don't have a, a a different moniker by their name. It's literally just the letter by the name. It doesn't change anything else. Right. So your so anyway so your bill your bill gets makes that easier for someone to to be able That's to it. run as their actual party and and, and reflect. Here is That's the. Here is someone who at least didn't try to pretend that this was about free and fair access. Here is the argument that we heard from one of the Republicans at the uh, legislative hearing today for your bill uh, that was proposed. And uh, I, I'm just going to we, we can talk more about some of the subterfuge that happened afterwards, some of the absolute nonsense. But just here is what you're up against in terms of the the uh, uh, the justifications that they have for this bill. Let's let's listen to this for a second. It's about two minutes. Here, here is what I'm wondering. I think in Tennessee. You got Republican, Democrat, Independent. And to be perfectly honest, that's about the way Tennesseans think out of one group or the other. They're either Democrat, they're Republican, or they are an independent, which you can choose either one right now. Uh, let's just say libertarian or green parties. I don't know which party would come closer to thinking like my party or your party. I don't know. But to add another party to me really takes away from all of us, from your part. When you put, somebody cut my mic off, when you put a name on the ticket, if it's a Republican and a Democrat, an independent, Green Party, Libertarian, or whatever, people have tendency to vote with their group more so in some ways than they do for the character of the person that's on the ballot. So I think what 
we're going to do is split the voters up more. And we're already <laughs> facing issues right now with the voting. And I mean, I know you know that whole lot of issues right now. And I think we're going to create more havoc by adding another party than we are if you just look on the ballot. And if you are Republican, you like this guy, this lady, or if you're a Democrat, you like this this fella or this lady, you're an independent, don't like either one of them. But when you add that other party, then you're going to take votes away from other people that really think and believe the very same thing. I, I just don't, I'm trying to figure out why do we need another party with the system that we've got right now. And, with, and that's with all due respect. I appreciate your efforts here, but I just don't, I can't understand what we are accomplishing. So basically what he's asking is, why would anyone need to have more than two options? You can, t t I'm, I'm curious what your, what your response was to that. I certainly have my thoughts on it. I'd love to hear what yours are. Well, obviously the system's working so well, right, Spike? Right, exactly. um, like, God Everyone's forbid so we happy. have alternative ideas. So that alone is a, is kind of a crazy thought. Um, but, you know, our, our primary sponsor of the bill really, I think, was very poignant and intentional with what he said to that response. And what he it said was, was to date, uh, you know, from the inception of, of the state of Tennessee, there have been almost 40, 45 minor parties that have been involved in the political process at some point in time. And his response, and this is also my response, is that's the way our republic was meant to work. People are supposed to be able to form new groups, organize, uh, rally around ideas. If they're not allowed to do that because there's institutional hurdles keeping them from doing that, by design, as you can tell by uh, Shaw's commentary, uh, then our system breaks down like it has in the last 50 years, since the 60s when they passed this bill. So he, he was brilliant. <clears throat> he really was. I wish we had that clip. I wish we would. Yeah, you, well, you can watch it on our website yeah. at 4LTN.org. Rep Holsey follows it up very well. He did. Um, he, did. Yeah. He, he did a really, he, he's not the most eloquent man in the whole wide world, but uh he, he understands why this is right, and he fought it very well. Uh, whoa, gosh, that was the wrong thing. I'm going to try <laughs> my best to to be to uh, 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 to uh, articulate the problem with even that question. He's presuming that there are essentially two ways to think about everything. Oh, yeah. And if you're yeah. some kind of weirdo who doesn't line up with this way or that way, or his people, as I think he put it, the people vote with their people. That was frightening. Uh, that if you groups. aren't one of these, what if you're, yeah, their group. Uh, if you aren't one of the, if you're one of these weirdos that doesn't vote with your group, quote unquote, then you have this third option and my, why that should be good enough. Obviously, that's garbage. There are at times five, six, seven different arguments on even just a given subject, much less on how the entire state or, or government should be run. Also, the reason we have the division that we have in this country is precisely because of the false binary choice that's being presented. Instead of being given a bourse of options to choose from and having people all lay out their different ways of how things should be done, instead... He's instead you now have your group red, your team red or your team blue, your group R or your group D, and you have to hate each other. And of course, because those two parties are actually there's less and less actual difference between them in policy, they have to make up for it with more and more theater of opposition, yeah. which creates yep. even more fighting. This yep. is all set up to divide us. 
You know, yes. The best way to end that division is to have as many different options as possible to create as much nuance in the argument to begin with so that it's not you're either evil or good or you're either terrible or you're wonderful. It's there are all these different options. You can choose from any of them and, and none of them make you inherently a good or bad person as a result of it. It is the antidote to the kind of division that we're seeing right now. Or... You could be part of an organization where all of your collective voters got into the same spot in order to force the hand of the the, uh, the people that hold office, making the uh, the party of the people that hold office almost moot. Yeah, I mean that's I an mean, and or, right? I mean we we, we <laughs> yeah, can be both. <laughs> wait, why, 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 why? I mean I get it, but if, if, if the the way George Washington in his farewell address, now let me warn yep. you in the most solemn manner of the bane of party where he goes on and spends 750 words telling you, don't do it. Don't get sucked into these freaking parties. Yeah. Uh, and here we are sucked into the parties. George yeah. Washington all of a sudden sounds like a prophet. And we are literally trying to create something that counters the political party system by giving people the ability to come together around an issue and facilitating the things that they want and representing them and trying to let them naturally form a voting block we're just we're just we're just facilitators it's all we are yeah and, and, and it's <clears throat> oh spike i so love this idea i'm glad you talked me into it when we were in dallas yes <laughs> i'm so glad that i single-handedly <laughs> exclusively inspired both of you individually and then collectively to do this together you, it was amazing. Said, no, I'm, I'm i'm very proud to see my, my baby take off world. like this <laughs> I'm, well, lighting the, I'm the light of the world yeah <laughs> Yeah, that commentary, though, on that bill today was was very frustrating and disconcerting. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it was it was very sad. You know, the truth is, though, and I'm sure we'll, you know, we're planning to get to this at some point is that bill was set to pass committee. I mean, that guy was the was a minority voice on the subcommittee. Um, We we walked in when we walked in as the guy that does the Hill work. uh, When we walked in, uh, we had five, three on an eight person um, subcommittee. Okay. Uh, and if you really listen close, everybody that said they were going to vote with us did, um, and somehow the nays still won it. So yeah, we're we're gonna we're <laughs> gonna play that right now. So uh, as Justin just said, walking into this, their vote count was that five were going to vote in favor of this, in favor of of getting of of loosening the ballot access restrictions. Right. Three were going to vote against it, including the one that you just heard speak. Um, and here's what happened, and you can listen for yourselves. Uh, seeing none, um, we will proceed to vote on the bill. All those in favor of the bill say aye. Aye. All those opposed say nay. Nay. Bill fails with no. All right, Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and committee. Yeah. So he you can li- see so, his hesitation. So, yeah, so he literally just lied. Yep. You well, won this. Well, your bill should have passed, but he literally just said, "Nah, I heard fewer people." And it's not as though with with eight people voting, they couldn't have just counted who voted. I I I, I hope that that's not the case. I I spoke to this guy. I, I talked to this guy. He was very open and honest with me as the chairman of this committee that he was two things: opposed to the bill and not going to work against it. Uh, so I I think that. I'm, I'm not ready to leap to the conclusion that he gave me an unfair shake. Um, we have the option to 
um, they file for reconsideration. And what we have to have is one of the no votes uh, say that they are willing to re uh, reconsider it. If that's the case, we can get it put back on the uh, uh, agenda and we can get the correct vote on it. The, the, uh, the, the truth will come out on this, though, Spike, because those yes. five votes aren't going anywhere. Even if it turns into a situation where he's unwilling to reconsider it, we can show demonstrably clear with signatures that these five people voted for it. And Hopefully. it was, yeah, and we it may was, not get signatures, yeah. but we've got that. We've got commitment. <laughs> Yeah, we can get those. We've got those commitments. So we're going to try to get that information publicly available to show the people what happened. But it, again, man, those, that's a, you know, those are the kind of things like uh, allowing the chair's discretion to decide that when it's uh, such a close vote doesn't make much sense to us at all. There's what's, no what's reason really, for that. Right. What's really funny is it led me to something that we should discuss as a policy item for next year on the agenda. And it's uh, a light uh, on the front of each desk. So, you know, even in a voice vote, they're sitting and hitting a button that gives a light so that we can see what the actual results of the, the instead of just relying on the chair's discretion to accurately call a voice vote. Yeah, that makes sense. There is absolutely no reason with eight people voting that you can't, like you said, lights or oh, even fine. just, hey, <laughs> What do you vote? Okay. What do you vote? What do you vote? What do you, I vote this? What do you vote? What do you like? There, there is no reason that they can't do that. I have been to you know plenty of party conventions, state party conventions, where they'll try to do it by voice <laughs> vote, and there's like a hundred, hundred and fifty, fifty, however many people there, you know, dozens or hundreds of people there, and they'll do try to do a voice vote, and if it sounds even the least bit iffy on on who won or who lost, now everyone has to get up and vote. It can take 15, 20 minutes to yeah. to, to get it you can spend spend close to a half hour in the voting and tabulating and everything because it's only right to make sure that it was voted on correctly with eight people you can in probably about a minute find out who voted what if it's even the least bit questionable that's beyond right. questionable you had more votes uh for yes than you had no and that's just right and they're on yeah, the record and, and yeah you can hear it i mean you can but, you know, Spike, um, that's one of many fights we're going to have this year. There's um, something near a dozen bills that we're working on. And, you know, we plan to come back uh, in the following year. And, and, and if even if we can't get this appeal through, we're going to bring this bill back. We're going to keep refining it and keep pushing it. Um, you know, we may be adding new uh, legislative issues based on our, our members' votes at, for stuff like ranked choice voting and some other reforms around the election space that I think would have a very positive impact in the state. But you know, you take it as you go, one one day at a time. So. Yeah, we got a we got a late start this session. In fairness, uh, I mean, we technically didn't exist until after session had already started. So, um, and we still think we'll get uh, a couple, maybe three bills through uh, out of the eight major ones that we've been pushing the whole time. That's good. That's good. Listen, you just got to keep pushing forward. Uh, in the meantime, I'm definitely going to be putting that video up just as soon as I'm allowed to post on social media again uh, to, to let people know, like, this is what happens. Uh, and it's not even behind closed doors. This is what happens on public access television for anyone who wants to watch it in the halls of, of positions of power that you have elected people into. 
this is what they do to you and it, it doesn't stop until we hold them accountable now let's talk about some of these other goals that you have um sure. so we know i mean the ballot access it is you know it, you, that's certainly a, a laudable goal uh and and that's going to be a, a tough road to hoe for obvious reasons because you're dealing with you know the, the the parties saying wait a second this would make it where we don't have a total iron grip on on who gets into <laughs> office but let's talk about some of these other goals that might have some good chance of, of might have even better chance of getting through because they aren't inherently uh, necessarily taking power from those that are in power. Uh, let's talk about criminal justice reform. Um, yeah. What are some of the things like civil asset forfeiture laws and things like that? I'll, what are some of the things that you want to push uh, in the realm of criminal justice reform in this session? Yeah, so we've got kind of five piece of legislation. I'll let Cornette fill you in on some of the details. But a big thing for us is, um, you know, we believe most people, if you're, if you're kind of a rational, level-headed American, you're against civil forfeiture. And for those right. of you that don't know, I'm sure many of your audience does, but for those of you that don't know, civil forfeiture is a process by which, you know, law enforcement can assume that you're using property in the commission of a crime. So say they find like cash in your car or they find like a baggie of drugs or whatever, they can seize that without any uh, criminal conviction or even any charge. Um, yeah. They say, hey, this was used in the commission of a crime, we're taking it. Um, you know, I, there's a story of a woman out in Gatlinburg in Tennessee who uh, got uh, who, who got her inheritance from her mother and she was driving from the bank with a $10,000 in cash in her car. She had a, a little baggie of uh, crushed up antiacid pills that she used to kind of, uh, you know, help her digest food. The police yeah. thought that it was a hard drug and they seized her inheritance and she had to go through a multi-year and very expensive process to get those assets back. So it's really alive and well in Tennessee. So we want to reform that. We've got four pieces of legislation. I'll let Cornette kind of give you their play-by-play -play on those. Um, if I may, though, Josh, um, there was a particular uh, district here in Tennessee on civil asset forfeiture uh, that a local uh, Nashville news uh, station did a expose on when it came to civil asset forfeiture. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a few years back, maybe five years ago or something like that. Uh, and the story went that the um, civil forfeitures were all happening in lanes going west back toward yeah. Memphis through Texas to Mexico with cash. And none of them happened in the eastbound lanes where presumably all the drugs went through, which basically means that the police were intentionally letting drugs get through in order to make sure that cash came cash. back so that they could stop the vehicle with the cash and collect the cash. They so, wanted and, the you drug know, deal to happen or the gun deal or whatever. They wanted the illegal activity to happen. Well, there's so a, the that's the insinuation. Yeah. Well, and I didn't do this. The, the local news did this about five years ago. You can find it. You yeah. can Google Nashville civil asset forfeiture. I think it's channel five. It's all there. Well, what, what, you wow. know, it's very clear though, even if they don't do it on purpose or not is irrelevant. There's a systematic, perverse yep. incentive for them to yep. do it. And the reason there is, is because the money they seize goes straight into their budgets. It buys them new toys, it buys them new tanks. Well, not into their budgets. It goes into law enforcement hands. It can't go right, into their right, budgets right. legally at the right. state level. So they, they have get, to buy they, they still get all of their funding and then this buys extra stuff. Yeah, so it's like play money, right? <laughs> so, I mean, talk about perverse incentive. But so we've got <laughs> more. We, oh, it's true. You cannot use well, it, it as part of your overall. Think about it, Spike. If they could but use it as part it. of their overall budget, the incentive is really there. Yeah, it's true. 
So this is a situation also where you now have law enforcement on an ad hoc, arbitrary basis deciding whether or not you're the type of person that should have that kind of money. Right. So if I look the part of that officer, right, that that officer looks at me and goes, yeah, you look like you should have five grand on you, but then I don't look the part for whatever reason, the car I'm driving, color of my skin, my age, whatever, whatever reason, they have now, a, you now have, and this is why we're supposed to have due process. This is without conviction. So for those who don't know what civil asset forfeiture is, this is the police, this is the government taking your money and property because they think you shouldn't have it or that you might might be doing something illegal with it or might have gotten it from illegal gains without a trial, without an indictment or without even a formal accusation of a crime. They just take it from you because it looks a little shifty. And, and it, it violates every concept of due process. I have no idea how is it how it has not been considered a total violation of your of your Fifth Amendment right, frankly, of your First Amendment right, because they're, they're taking away your ability to be able to express yourself and, and do things because they're taking your money from you. They're violating and it's a violation of your Second Amendment right if they take any guns in that they think was you know part of the commission of a crime. This is basically the envi- a violation of almost every aspect of the Bill of Rights. And, and, you know, so, so let's talk about your goals to what your specific legislation is to fight against this. Yep. Uh, on civil asset forfeiture specifically? Uh, on all these things, but we can start with, yeah. with civil forfeiture. Okay. Well, we got four civil asset forfeiture bills. So okay. uh, currently, if you um, are going to start the process of trying to get your property back when you weren't charged with crime, um, you have to pay a $350 bond because of course it makes sense that they took your property and they're not saying you did anything wrong with it, but in order for you to get it back, you have to pay the money. Um, so we, we have a bill, <laughs> we have a bill that would get rid of the bond uh, in, in its entirety. And that one is very likely to sail right through. Uh, okay, we good. picked the right fight on that. One. We really think that one's going to go right through. Um, we have a, another bill, um, that addresses attorney's fees. Uh, because again, sometimes these things can drag out and they can be costly. Uh, the way it works in Tennessee is um, there's a cap on the reimbursement. So the organization that forfeited the proper, uh, property, the law enforcement agency that have forfeited the property is responsible for reimbursing the, the legal expense to fight the case uh, mm-hmm. up to $3,000. So basically you got about you know, a month's worth of work out of a lawyer. And if it goes longer than that, you're kind of in trouble uh, and you're paying it on your own. Right. right. So we think that getting rid of the cap would um, disincentivize um, the forfeiting agency from dragging these things out until the person does not have the means to fight anymore and capitulates uh, right. and would incentivize them to uh, get these things over and settled fast and get people's stuff back in the cases that they should have it back. Pretty yeah. basic stuff. Yeah, and then we've and then we've got, you know, uh, yeah, criminal we, conviction bill, which is a lot more broad. It's kind of the the, the silver bullet, so to speak. It's a little bit more. It, it addresses bit more equitable in, sharing. Yep. Uh, yeah. The level of uh, certainty that a crime had happened. Currently, you have to have a preponderance of evidence, which is a 51% threshold. I think maybe they did something wrong or they were going to do something wrong. Whereas uh, this bill would change it to uh, uh, clear and convincing evidence, which is a which is why it's civil. Threshold. 
That's why they call it civil asset forfeiture, because if it were criminal, it would have to be without beyond a reasonable doubt. But it's not. We're not doing anything criminal law here. We're just taking everything from someone we think is a criminal, but we're doing it civilly. And then that way we only have to go through the preponderance of the evidence. So does it just just because I don't understand the lingo here. um, Is this basically raising it to the level of beyond a a reasonable doubt or is it like some stopgap in between? It's uh, you better be pretty doggone sure. It's. Yeah, it's in between. It's yeah, maybe he's doing something wrong. But we'll go ahead and make sure he's not and take that. Versus, yeah, this guy is pretty obviously doing something wrong. Yeah, okay. all right. Okay. And then the the last bill that we're working on, this one also I think is a pretty good shot of getting through this year is a reporting bill. And this one's pretty important because you know, Spike, like not many reporting bills. They're very boring, right? Not many reporting bills are fought by massive lobbying institutions. This is one of the few bills that we've actually seen law enforcement come out to fight. And the reason that is, is because in Tennessee, the Department of Safety doesn't have to report to the public how many times a forfeiture resulted in a criminal conviction. So it kind of detaches those two things. So you can maybe know some general information about forfeitures, but you really have no way to identify how many times it resulted in actually a closed case or like a charge. So this wow. bill of Lafferty, yeah, Lafferty's bringing it in the house. It's going to basically require the Department of Safety to inform the public every time a bill results or a, a seizure results in a criminal conviction. It, it, yeah. It is, they're, they're, yeah. Yeah. It, it does seem like a no brainer. Uh, but yeah. in Tennessee, there's that we don't have a unified court system, uh, which means everybody communicates and takes down information in different ways. Uh, so it makes the information hard to track in fairness. Uh, well, uh, so, and, and uh, there, there's there is no justification for for divorcing the the because if here's and here's actually there is a justification more than likely the vast majority of these they never even bother prosecuting much less having any conviction they took it from you that's all they wanted they wanted the money now go on your way and don't ever come around to tennessee again that's what they want right that I, that'll teach you to, I mean, to be a poor person with money and and that's very scary but by not reporting the that fact then it allows them to go, well, this is how we're stopping dangerous criminals from being able to, they have Correct. to, they need to be able Correct. to report. The whole absence of information kind of gives them the plausible deniability. And yep. so we want to take that away from them because, you know, I think that if the data was there, then it would show a compelling case to say what you said. We don't know that for sure, right? We can't make a claim and yeah, say, I mean, we know it's it. very possible but that it says it. the opposite, but we need to know. Exactly. The public needs to know. And if it is being abused, then, you know, we can't we can't know if it's being abused if it's not in the light. Right. So we got to bring that stuff. Of course. In light. Um, no. th- I mean, you definitely shouldn't have to pay to get your stuff back. So the bond in the no. attorney doesn't is a no brainer. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the, the reporting bill, hopefully we can find a way to effectively track this information so that we know what kind of an issue we actually have in a real life scale. Because on average, over the last, I don't know, three, five years, um, Tennessee's confiscated somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 18 million dollars through civil forfeiture. And, you know, we don't know if a dime has been uh, a, 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 attached to a criminal conviction or yeah. if 97 percent of it has. Uh, we just don't know. We have no idea. We have no idea. Yeah. I suspect it's closer to the dime than it is to the 97 percent. But but we don't know. We don't we don't know until until they uh, until it's being reported. So and then so those are all good things. And then the final thing here is support for small business. Now, small business. What Spike? Not to cut you off. One more item on on criminal justice reform. We're really heavy on on civil forfeiture, but we're also working on a bill. And I'll make this brief. 
perjury nullification or conscientious. Oh, no, let's, will. yeah, no, take as much time as you want to talk <laughs> okay. about jury nullification. Okay, great. So this is a great constitutional practice. Again, I'm sure many of your listeners know about it, but the practice of jury nullification, it goes back to the, before the Constitution, the Magna Carta. Yep. So yep. it's the idea that, you know, you have two, you, many people think jurors have two pathways, right? You either have to make somebody guilty or not guilty. But what you don't know is you can actually choose to acquit as a juror anyone. So let's say you got 80-year-old grandma. She's in Tennessee where, you know, weed is is the devil's lettuce and uh, it's illegal. Uh, she's smoking it because she's she's got cancer and she's trying to get some food down during chemo. She goes in front of a, a jury. Uh, it's very clear that she's broken the law, right? It's very clear. Yes. All the evidence is there. The jury at that point could say, no, this law is applied unjustly and choose to acquit her. Um, the problem is in Tennessee, if you're a juror, uh, you're systematically screened from juries if you're uh, if you know of your rights. Um, so this bill and Martin Daniel brought this bill is one of our favorite reps in the House uh, a couple of years ago. We're former bringing. Reps. Yeah, former reps. We're bringing in, We're bringing this bill back. The bill would basically require a judge to inform a jury of the right to nullify the law if requested by a defense attorney during a case. So in many different types of cases, especially cases like the one I just mentioned a second ago, you know, defense attorney might use that argument, say, hey, listen, this is this is an unjust law. It shouldn't be applied. Um, and right now, if if that case is tried to be made, everyone in the jury gets picked off if um, if somebody in the jury expresses expresses that. Can so, be. Or can be, correct. So, so you basically just have to lie and be like, I don't think they did it. And yeah, just, right. but, but they can still remove no, no, you during I mean, the deliberation if you express. Hey, hey, look, this is one of those things that it's kind of crazy to try to pass a law on, because the first thing you have to do when you're talking to a legislator is explain that this law exists. It, it, it's a thing. Everybody can do it everywhere in the United States. It's been upheld a million times. Uh, it's 100 percent legit. It's legit in every country that has jury trials. This is right. how juries work and always have. Uh, and it's it's hard to for people to grasp that concept. And it is a double edged sword. You know, a, a, there are bad people that have been let off uh, by juries and there are good people that have not been acquitted uh, or, or that have been acquitted by right. juries. Uh, so it, it's a double edged sword. There's no question about that. You have to be real about that. Um, but in 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 practice, I think that we have to. Uh, live in a society where we demand a certain level of excellence out of society and in in order to encourage them to achieve it you know i mean it's a common coaching practice you demand the most out of your players uh, and they give you the most and all of a sudden they know how good they are Uh, and you can it's when we knew that this was a thing and it was not an uncommon practice People were taking pride in the way that their system worked. They understood that their job on the jury was to make sure their community stayed stayed safe, stayed safe from actual bad actors, uh, right. and that they didn't punish people that didn't need to be punished. Uh, right. And that's right, right. really all we're trying to look for is a, a, a way to get back to that. Um, yeah. I think that uh, participation in the jury helps people understand how the legal system works and the value of the jury itself. The I've heard the argument before from the anti-jury uh, nullification side that, well, this could lead to bad people, you know, uh, getting off because they're able to manipulate the jury. That can happen now. 
a oh, man, you yeah. can manipulate jurors and yep. and threaten jurors and they can just they can just vote not guilty they can just say i don't yep. think they did it uh i don't think they did it not guilty not guilty not guilty jury yep. nullification is the ability of jurors and even of attorneys to argue this is a bad law or it is being it is being implemented yep. poorly because of this specific decision and empowering the jurors to choose whether or not to believe that or not who knows those yep. jurors may go well you know what granny shouldn't have been smoking weed i don't care that it's helping her it's against the law they can still do that but they yeah. at least have the ability to hear that argument that you know well, what? it's not just what the law design. is exactly it's the yep. it's the and yep. like you said this predates the constitution this yep. is yep. as long as there have been uh jury, jury of your peer trials yep. which like you said started with the magna carta this started with saying we demand the ability to be able to as as back then as subjects but now as citizens huge difference there of course uh as citizens to be able to decide whether or not someone's guilty presumed in that is whether or not they should even be tried for such a crime and 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 right. uh, you know i think it's it's you know foundational to any idea behind a system of of, of justice uh, I, I mean the founding fathers were clear about the value of jury trials and uh went to great lengths to express the value of the jury box giving feedback to the legislator yep. on what laws they deemed tolerable in their society uh, we're supposed to be a nation built on self-governance. I, I realize that ship has long sailed, but don't tell me you're a constitutionalist unless you actually believe in the ideas of the guys that put the Constitution together. I mean, it, it, the reality of the situation is we're supposed to participate in our government, and uh, this is a way that we're supposed to be giving that feedback to them. And they've systematically tried to make sure that there's no way to mention it in the courthouse. Yeah, the, the jury should be arguably either a fourth branch of government or a second leg within that third branch of government. The the, the final people's veto against, oh, OK, you're not going to make this legal or you're not going to get rid of this law. Then we're just going to nullify it every single time it's in front of us because it's a BS law and we don't like Preach. it. Yep. Preach, man. Yep. That's yep. why that's why they put it in there. That's what it was supposed to be at the beginning. Uh, so. I mean, the reason that juries came around is because they did, they were sick of the government setting the laws, enforcing yep. the laws and ruling on the decisions. Uh, yep. the, the, the whole point of juries is to put somebody impartial in there to make the actual decision. Right? And well, I'm we very... need to make, make sure that they understand that they are allowed to be impartial and make the decision that serves justice. That's yep. the that's well, the bottom line. I am very, very happy to hear that you guys are pushing that in Tennessee. That makes me very happy because yeah. yes, that is a that is a huge thing. It doesn't get nearly yeah, I, enough attention. Go, go ahead. I, honestly, I, I, to be level though, I, this bill um, it, it, it's a retread of a bill a couple of years back. It's a very minor pinprick that really allows us to start this conversation on this and try to figure out where the palate is in the legislature to be able to uh, get actual things done on this going forward uh all this bill does is require a defense or require a, a judge yeah, I, 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 yeah we told, oh yeah. i'm sorry yeah require yeah. a judge to inform a jury yeah yeah sorry so yeah it's a very simple it's a bill go, it's but, a you know, good if it's a good foot in the door yes sir agreed agreed um i do yeah. want to get to small business though because yeah. that's when i want to rock and roll and that's yeah, yeah let's talk about that Josh let's is talk really about passionate that. about this one. okay so, you know, here's the case. I'm sure that we agree on this one, too. Is Justin I, leaving? Or, oh, okay. No, I thought no, you were like, no. he's so passionate about it. I'm just going to leave. Anyway, yeah, sorry. No, go just ahead. leaned off the screen the same way you did to get a drink. <laughs> so, uh, no, at a high level, 2020, we just got through, like, one of the craziest years. Um, in 2020, 
we experienced with these COVID lockdowns, probably the biggest wealth transfer from small and medium-sized businesses to multinational corporations in the history of the world. Yep. Um, all these massive corporations were allowed to stay open, marked as essential, while these small business owners um, and, and you know independent uh, business owners were forced to stop working and basically told to stay home under you know force of arrest of government. Yeah. Yes. So. Yep. We, we saw that in Tennessee, we had over 1,200 small businesses closed permanently. Um, the most affected community was, my, was the minority community and business owners. They were affected disproportionately more than anyone else. Yeah. And we believe that COVID shutdowns didn't work. Uh, international studies show that voluntary yeah. measures are just as effective, if not more yeah. effective, than mandatory lockdowns. So, you know, I think the science is settled on that. Um, so what we're trying to do is two things. So we've got a bill that would uh, restrict the governor from being able to deem a business as essential or non-essential. So basically say, hey, you know, you have no business deciding who's essential and who's non-essential. That's not the state's decision. That's yeah, the yeah, we like that, because, but I mean, there's still the theory there that, uh, you know, the question you have to ask, well, does that mean I can say we're shutting down bars? Yeah, there's yeah. still, or there's still runarounds uh, for that bill. Like there's still ways they get around it. So that's why we have the second bill. Um, and the second bill is a bill that focuses on enforcement. So it basically restricts law enforcement from being able to used. Oh yeah, being used to um, you know enforce a shutdown order if it restricts your right to gather, uh, if free assembly, like if they're ch shutting down church services, um, if they're um, ten people at your Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly. Dinner. If there's ten people at your Thanksgiving dinner, uh, they can't restrict travel, right? Um, and you know they can't go and sh do force shutdowns of businesses. So. I think those two bills together would create a, an environment that would make sure, hey, 2020, that's not going to happen again. Uh, my opinion on it is that the state should operate as an entity to provide information and best practices. And then people yes. should be allowed to take that information and make the best decision for their lives. It did not save lives to do these mandatory lockdowns. It's been shown no, in retrospect. So yep. all it yep. did was take money and suck it out of small business owners and give it to big corporations like Target and Walmart and all these other companies that aren't even based in Tennessee or don't even do business where, you know, don't have their private If, if, if um, only the World Health Organization had said last summer that long-term lockdowns don't work, that they lead to, uh, <laughs> that because you cannot effectively keep everyone away from each other uh, for oh. long periods of time without, without causing massive harm. So instead you don't really, because lockdown's the wrong word for this. We weren't locked in our homes. That would be the only effective way to stop the spread of a highly virulent pathogen is make everyone stay in their houses for at least two or three weeks. If you were able to somehow do that, which you can't, then yeah, you could stop the slow, you could stop the spread of COVID, but you'd also cause exponentially worse harm than you could cause that if you infected everyone with COVID at the same time, if everyone were, were stuck in their house for two weeks, you would, the, the farms would go fallow. We'd run out of food. The, yeah. uh, uh, we'd, we'd have no energy. People would be dying from preventable illnesses because the hospitals would be shut down. Uh, you'd right. have, and people would eventually leave their homes to start rampaging their neighbor's homes because they run out of food. Uh, you yeah. know, very quickly you would see, you know, one out of every probably three people would die if you, if you try to make everyone saying there so because you can't do that instead you do this weird hodgepodge where you say uh well you have to stay in your home uh and you can only go outside if it's for essential reasons um but also uh you can't go to a small uh business like a furniture store where there's like five of you in the same building because right. that could be dangerous but let's all walmart. go to target at yeah let's go to walmart hundreds of us at a time it's totally safe because you're wearing a mask that reduces uh the amount of expectorants that you're putting out there by about 
about 10, 15%. So you can all right. huddle together at Walmart. You're perfectly fine. All hundreds of you at a time. And we're also going to create a curfew of when you can come and go so that that way a bottlenecks it even more. Make sure you're all nice and close together right, right, uh, right, for right, your right. safety. The whole nonsense behind this, and as you said, it was a massive wealth transfer, not just yeah. from small, you know, we're talking specifically small businesses to large multinational ones, but from poor countries that relied on tourism to wealthy countries. I mean, this was a huge giveaway from the poor to the rich. Uh, yes. And and we're not going to know the long term impact of it for many years to come. Yeah, the amount it's of going wealth to affect that, people's that, lives you know, and livelihoods for years. Absolutely, man. The amount of wealth that the one percent continued consolidated during that period of time was Insane. exponentially more than any other period. So, it. I mean, no matter what side of this political spectrum you're on, there's things to hate about shutdowns, right? Yes. So it, it's it. We just believe that's a consensus. And the good thing is, we do see uh, kind of a, a, a growing political mandate to do something about it. Uh, yeah. We don't know what that's going to be yet, but we're advocating strongly for those two pieces of legislation, legislation, in the hopes that. Um, you know, they'll take they'll take the full on approach and at least stop the enforcement so that if we do get some crazy guy in the, the federal uh, government or somebody even a crazy governor, it's not even a problem because they don't have the powers, right? They don't have the lever power to, to make it, it defangs them. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you something. What is the I, I don't even know if you've pushed this out there. Do you have an idea of what the appetite is in the legislature to even look at this type of thing? I'm, I would say that the one on essential versus non-essential has about a 75% chance of passage. Wow. Uh, I would okay. say that the, uh, the uh, stronger bill um, about uh, preventing law enforcement from enforcing these things is probably in the 40s. That's still, that's still somewhat hopeful, but, but honestly, I'm saying there's a to- chance. I mean, I, I think I, I don't think it's going to get anywhere, but I've talked to a lot of people that would uh, would support it. But the thing is, it's got to get through a subcommittee. And, it won't. and when, you know, Spike, I think one thing that we've learned being involved in the state legislature the last, you know, what, five years or so yeah. is that, you know, half the battle isn't the bill itself. As you see the nonsense that we have to deal with uh, among yeah. the legislators. It's the education opportunities and it's the accountability that kind of comes out when these people have to go out and make a public stance for or against these things. Yep, yep, so, yep, yep, yep. you know, that is a snowball effect that will, in you know, over the next couple of years, either make, sometimes make these people lose their seats. Uh, it will, it, you know, you, political will gets created after you cycle after cycle, kind of continuing to push these things. So we're not going anywhere. That's our, that's our long-term strategy. It's the same as we talked about for ballot access. It's the same for all these bills. Um, and whatever our members decide to prioritize for us next year. I, I think it's great what you guys are doing. I, you know, it is, <clears throat> however we try to do this, and I, I talk to people across the country about this, it feel it can feel hopeless at times, whether you're pushing for a libertarian party to do, to, you know, to make gains at, at the local and state and federal level, yeah. whether you're pushing for individual policy proposals, because all of the, or most of the power, the vast, virtually all of the power is vested in the creation and entrenchment and growth of that power structure. And so you are at a immediate inherent disadvantage 
the only thing that you can get an advantage of is because your idea is right to get the kind of numerical power in in the vote in the number of voters and and supporters behind it that they simply cannot ignore it but as you see as you saw from that that you know a bit of a video that we played earlier they can just pretend that it failed i mean there's a lot of stuff they can do so it can feel hopeless here's what i want to encourage you to with right now and i, I say this all the time if you look at every major uh, and, and you both already know this, but I, I'm saying this as much for the people that are watching this as I am to you, but I want you to hear it as well. Every, if you look at every single major movement that has resulted in a, in a drastic and dramatic positive change for people, for society, and so forth, whatever we're talking about, ending slavery, uh, 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 ending wars, uh, ending genocides, any of these things almost always started with a, a sometimes one or two or a small handful of people who knew that the odds were completely stacked against them and who just didn't care that... They knew that the only alternative was to just shrug their shoulders and give up and say, well, there's nothing we can do about it. I guess we just got to live with it. And that was unacceptable to them. And so they just kept pushing forward. And it felt sometimes like they were yelling into the abyss with no one listening or, you know, three other people going, yeah, I agree. And you say, hey, thanks, mom. But, you know, you, you, <laughs> you, you push you that you and, and, and those who came before you who have, who have been successful in this, you push forward. The three people turns to 10 people, turns to 20 people. You're already even in the legislature with people that are agreeing with you on these things. And before you know it, you've created a snowball effect where you're able to implement incredible things in, a, in, a, in what seems like an impossibly quick period of time. Uh, and so I just encourage you to keep going at this because you're going to have gains. You're going to get people on your side. We say this a lot in the Libertarian Party. You may not win the election, but you're going to win voters. You're going to win people yeah. over who are now going to be the next level of activists. So I, I, I greatly, greatly encourage you to do this. And I am so uh, uh, honored and happy that you were on the show. Before I let you go, I want to give you two a chance to say whatever you feel like you didn't get a chance to say yet, to plug anything that's upcoming, yeah. let people know how they can reach out to you. You guys have the floor. Uh, Joshua Eckel and Justin Cornett, the floor is yours. Thank you, Spike. So I'll say one thing. You know, in the last month and a half, we have seen crazy amounts of excitement and growth around this project. We're extremely excited to get this off the ground. We need your help, obviously, your listeners' help. Um, you can join our website at foraltn.org slash act. Uh, get on our mailing list and learn more. Uh, you can also donate at foraltn.org slash donate. We've got a Twitter at foraltn. We've got Facebook at foraltennessee. Uh, you know, we're only as effective as the members that really drive our organization. So we need your help very badly in the state of Tennessee. And even if you're not in Tennessee, we'd love your help. And, yeah. and we do want to spread this to other states. We need to prove the model here, make sure it can work, set the culture um, you know, and, and develop all this and get it out on paper. And as soon as we can, and as soon as we can, we have the means to move forward. You know, we want for all California and for all New Hampshire and for all Missouri and for all Florida, and maybe even eventually for all America. I, I mean, a, 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 we, a, we really think that we got something here and that, um, we can we can make something of this if we can just work together on it. And I, I, finally, I'd like to say thank you for having us on. Yes, um, of course. Seconded. You know, and Spike, thank you for everything fans. you've done in the last year for the Liberty Movement. Man. Yeah, really. Yeah, it's been inspiring to say the least. One so. day we hope to grow up and be like you. 
<laughs> well, I appreciate that. And uh, I'm not going anywhere. I, I was honored to be able to do everything I could last year. And it was always with the idea that I hope to leverage any amount of notoriety I could from last year to keep pushing forward and uh, and keep spreading the message on, uh, of liberty around the, of, around the country. I think it is good when we get together. And I like that you guys agree with me on this. Uh, in fact, it was actually heading to your state convention. I have a little bit of a story. Uh, heading to your state <laughs> convention back in 2020. I actually drove there. I have no idea why but i drove there and uh and it's a it's a 10-hour trip from myrtle beach to uh to nashville or yeah 10-hour trip and driving there it struck me that i was driving several hours crossing you know going by tens of thousands of people on the road you know i stopped a couple times and there were hundreds of people this was before the lockdowns you know hundreds of people at the rest stop that i went to uh you know hundreds of people at the hotel uh you know all these times that i was around hundreds or thousands or even tens of thousands of people and i was going into a room a large room but a conference room to talk with dozens of libertarians that already all agreed with me on everything Right. Yeah. And it struck me that, yes, that's important. We need to organize. We need to keep each other uh, excited. We need to uh, work together on, on things that we need to do. There is an entire, really a planet, but there's an entire country of people who the moment that they hear our ideas, even if they don't sign on to everything right off the bat, when they hear them in a way that speaks to them where they are and connects with them and they go, Oh, that's why everything sucks. Okay, yeah, I'm with you guys right now, or at least I'm with you on this specific thing. You right. can very quickly turn people around. Our major hurdle is just getting our ideas and our values and our proposals and our policies and our common sense reforms in front of people. And that's what y'all are doing. I am honored oh, yeah. and grateful that you are it. doing it. Yeah. Thank you. And I so appreciate thank it you a lot. So much. Hey, thank you. We, we'll definitely have you on again in the future uh, if you'll have it, and uh, and oh, I yeah. greatly appreciate it. Stick around. I'm going to talk with you guys during the outro. Uh, but folks, thanks you so much again for tuning into this episode of My Fellow Americans. Uh, we will be back on Facebook next week, uh, hopefully, and uh, and we'll see you there. Uh, in the meantime, uh, be sure uh, this weekend I will be in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, actually, Hapeville, but but it's in Atlanta uh, for the uh, Georgia Libertarian Party convention uh, this year. Uh, this uh, what is that? The twelfth and the thirteenth. Uh, I will be there, um, and then I'll be doing. I'll be at a, a special uh, Liberty uh, dinner on the fifteenth. Uh, more more information on that, or the fourteenth. More info on that coming out. Uh, go to lpgeorgia.org to find out how you can join the convention. I'd love to meet you in person. Uh, I'm going to be giving a speech there and doing a panel with uh, Chase Oliver and Shane Hazel. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff there. There's going to be a, a gala and a party and all sorts of fun stuff. So come and hang out with us. Go to lpgeorgia.org. Uh, we will see you back here next week. Uh, on Tuesday at 8 p.m. for the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I parse through the week's events like the sweet little 2020 Wonder Boys that we are. And then uh, we will join me right back here uh, on Wednesday. I See, I always forget to pull this up. Every time, almost every time, I forget to... Gosh, here we go. Calendar. Uh, almost every single time I forget. Next week, I will have on Wednesday, I will have my guest, David Preston. David Preston will be my guest. We'll be talking about uh, education reform next week. Right here, same spike place, same spike time for another jam-packed, absolutely magnificent episode of My Fellow Americans. Folks, thanks again for tuning in. I'm Spike Cohen, and you are the power. God bless, guys.
skin My friend In reality you are my kin Though I view the world through another's iris If you slide in my kicks It might fit We might just unite and Come together and become hybrid At the least slightly like-minded Indeed the life I've lived Brings light to kindness All you need is a sign Put a cease to the crimes Put an ease to the minds like mine Sometimes darkness is all I find You know what they say about an eye for an eye In a time when the blind be the blind Who am I to deny I would cry when a loved one dies I recognize that body outside For the holes in the body that was alive Now they find them with chalk outline Find out how but you never know why It ain't even make it to the news at nine It ain't even make it to the news at nine That's my sister, mother, father, brother, son That's one of mine All these tears I close my eyes Open up the only fine I'm in line There's a point that's murder I live all the time Either lose your life or mine Caught up in their first mistake 